all coming in crowds. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, how scared and sitting. Oh, well, that's cool. Thank you. And uh, yeah. this is Nina. Oh, Hi. Nina, it's so nice. nice to meet you. She's going to say a few words. Yeah. Okay. This way is your seat. No, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, hi again, everybody. So now we're ready to start. <laughs> Uh, my name is Nina Mamakudian. I'm the literature and theater and dance librarian here at the uh, UC San Diego Library. Um, quick note, we're a bit crowded, so thank you all for um, your patience with people. Um, if you do need to leave the reading early, um, please use that back door over there so as not to disturb the reading happening up front. Um, and that is also where the, the restrooms are back there. Um, afterwards, uh, we're going to have a Q&A, and we've got mics for you. Um, Please wait to ask your question until you have a mic so that we can pick it up for the recording that we're doing. We record all these readings, the new writing series, uh, for, um, and we put them in our catalog in special collections. So all of these readings are actually available for you to listen to afterwards, which is really wonderful. Um, and yeah, without further ado, I'm going to bring up Professor Brandon Slum. <laughs> Hi, hi, everyone. Uh, so glad to see everyone. I'm sorry, I've uh, pardoned my voice. As many of my students know, I've lost my voice over the last couple of days. Um, but I'm so excited to be here. I'm so uh, thrilled to be here with you and to have Marilyn Chin uh, reading. Uh, uh, I don't know if Marilyn remembers this, but very early on in my own career as an MFA student at the University of Pittsburgh, I had the opportunity to first meet Marilyn and actually introduce her. And it was really um, a real thrill and honor at that time. And it's a thrill and honor to have her here with us today. And it's such a thrill to be celebrating um, her new and selected, which is just out. And we have the um, bookstore here, um, Sage is here and, uh, to help us with the, uh, the sales uh, of this book. And so please pick up a, a copy. And also... Sage and Kayla are here uh, to help with those sales. And uh, again, the book is amazing and uh, uh, a gorgeous copy there, uh, brand, brand new and just out. Um, so again, my voice is going. So I'm going to introduce um, our wonderful graduate student, Clara Feenstra. But before I do that, I want to, um, this is, a, of course, our last reading of this quarter. But we have lots of great readings lined up in the winter and in the spring. And I just wanted to make the announcement. In the winter, we're looking forward to Vanessa and Elica Rial reading for us. Ronaldo Wilson, Kate, Kate Bernheimer, and Ari Banyas. So really an amazing group of, of writers coming and visiting us in the winter. So please, you know, we're on Facebook, so like us, follow us there. We post um, the events there. And then also we have a, a website at the Literature website. So, so please follow us and, and look out for our posters as well. Um, last thing before I go, um, uh, let's turn off our cell phones too. Thanks so much. And now, Clara. Wow, this is yeah an incredible turnout. And I can see a few of my students here, too, so hello. Um, I think Professor Som phrased it well when he said it's a celebration. It really feels like that. And it's a real honor for me to introduce Marilyn Chin. So thank you, everyone, for being here. Um, I want to start, just before I get really into the crux of my introduction, I want to start with some context to the release of this book. 
um, and the significance of it just by outlining some of Marilyn Chin's achievements so far, and there's plenty. Her work has received countless awards, including but not limited to the Radcliffe Institute Fellowship at Harvard, the Stegner Fellowship, the Rockefeller Foundation Fellowship at Bellagio, and many, many more. Marilyn Chin's books of poems include Rhapsody in Plain Yellow, Dwarf Bamboo, The Phoenix Gone, The Terrace Empty, and Hard Love Province. This newest collection of poems, A Portrait of the Self as Nation, reaches across 30 years of work, rewriting the meanings and assumptions we carry when we read Marilyn Chin. This text is a beginning, gifts us a new pair of eyes with which to read familiar poems and make them unfamiliar. Marilyn Chin describes herself as an activist, subversive, radical, immigrant, feminist, transnational, Buddhist, neoclassical, nerd poet. <laughs> and in true Marilyn Chin fashion, these identifiers cannot be taken in isolation, but naturally intersect to create her multi-layered polyphonic practice. We cannot read her newest collection of poems without confronting these layers of identity, without thinking about what it means in the context of how we interact with the world, how the world interacts with us, and what painful truths and tensions still exist in our current socio-political climate. Perhaps most importantly, these layers of identity as Chin lists them are examples of the radical existences that resist these tensions. In the introduction to A Portrait of the Self as Nation, Chin writes that the work is a sampling of poems. Think of sampling in the sense of music, in the way that songs sample, rework, reintegrate music, of the past, how certain fragments of a melody or chord progression are echoed in the history of music. Collating these poems that reach across decades has this very same effect. We can trace the bodies, the places, the hesitations, the movements, the skylines of the poems as they interact with each other across their vast publication history. And in this way, reading Marilyn Chin is reading a landscape, a landscape of multiplicity, a vast and heterogeneous garden, that reaches across countries, continents, subjectivities. On this landscape, we find the mystical, we find celestial objects, solitude, sex, the mundane, the transcendental. We see a promise to, as Chin herself puts it, pursue the limitless. The text is always reaching beyond something, always pushing up against boundaries, stretching them and breaking them. The collection is a rupturing of citizenship, of the temporal, but by the end of reading, we are not left with any remains or debris. That's because Chin uses these moments of rupture to transform existence. There are other words for this. Hopefulness is one, joy, celebration, trust. But I use transformation because within Chin's work, I'm left with a feeling of a future. It's steeped in history and it's in dialogue with history, but it's always pushing forward. As Chin writes, Quote, the beginning of an end, the end of a beginning, end quote. There is no finality, there's no end in Chen's work. Endings on the landscape of the text are just landmarks that we will circle back to time and time again. As she writes in Alter, quote, she who was attracted to that bare bulb, who danced around that immigrant dream, will find her end here, this corner, this stolen altar. We as a reader know that this end is a beginning of a new push, a new path towards something else, a new chance to transform. This radical, temporal, and spiritual depth is rooted in facing the suppression of certain histories, silence narratives, unspoken oppressions. These are the violent 
shameful truths that Chin's work brings to light. Sometimes with delicacy, sometimes with anger, sometimes with humor, demanding that we be reflexive, make connections between bodies and political acts. How often is language deployed with such physical consequence? How often does a writer induce the visceral, provoke the activist within us? Whilst reading this book leaves us with moments of meditation, more often than not that meditation is a call to action. As Chin says, I didn't become a feminist just because I read all this feminist theory in college and grad school. I became a feminist because I really felt for my mother's generation and for my mother in particular. Every morning I think about her and her suffering and her sacrifice. Without this wound, I don't think I would have become a poet. For those of us who feel the gendered effects of immigration in the cultural tastes, the earning capacities, the language barriers, the cultural wisdom of our mothers, aunts, cousins, and sisters, Chin's work demonstrates that poetry is more than words. It is movement. Her work is in no way theoretical. It is an enactment of truths, the truths that we ourselves are sometimes too ashamed to admit or too confused to unpack. Chin does this on our behalf reveals our own immigration histories to us by vibrantly representing her own. And without further ado, it is my real pleasure to welcome Marilyn Chin to UCSD's New Writing Series. Thank you, Nia, for such a beautiful introduction. And thank you, Brandon. Oh, my gosh. Nephew. No, you know how Snoop Dogg calls his... His, yeah, his poet's nephew. Well, yeah, Brandon's a nephew, for sure. <laughs> um, thank you for coming and, oh, I just, and helping me celebrate this, uh, my new and selected. You're just, oh, what a wonderful uh, welcome. Um, so I'm going to begin with a self-introduction of sorts. It's called How I Got That Name, an Essay on Assimilation. I am Marilyn Mailing Chin. Oh, how I love the resoluteness of that first person singular, followed by that stalwart indicative of be, without that uncertain ing of becoming. Of course, the name had been changed somewhere between Angel Island and the sea when my father, the paper son, in the late 1950s, obsessed with the bombshell blonde, transliterated Mailing to Marilyn. Nobody dared question his initial impulse, for we all know lust drove men to greatness, not goodness, not decency. And there I was, a wayward pink baby, named after some tragic white woman, swollen with gin and nembutal. My mother couldn't pronounce the R. She dubbed me number one female offshoot for brevity. Henceforth, she will live and die in sublime ignorance, flanked by loving children of the kitchen deity, by my father Dithers, a tomcat in Hong Kong trash, a gambler, a petty thug, who bought a chain of chopped suey joints in Pierce River, Oregon, with bootleg Gucci cash. Nobody dared question his integrity, given his nice, devout daughters and his bright industrious sons, as if filial piety by with all its earthly men were measured. Oh, how trustworthy our daughters, how thrifty our sons, how we managed to rule the experts in education, statistics, and demography. We're not very creative, but not adverse to rote learning, rote learning, rote learning. 
Indeed, they can use us, but the model minority is a tease. We know you are watching now, and we refuse to give you any. Oh, bamboo shoots, bamboo shoots, the further west we go, we'll hit east. The deeper down we dig, we'll find China. History has turned its stomach on a black polluted beach where life doesn't hinge on that red, red wheelbarrow. But whether or not our new lover in that final episode of Santa Barbara will lean over a scented candle and call us a bitch. Oh, Lord, where have we gone wrong? We have no inner resources. Then one redolent spring morning, the great patriarch Chin peered down from his kiosk in heaven and saw that his descendants were ugly. One had a squarish head and nose without a bridge, another's profile long and knobbed as a gourd. A third, the sad, brutish one, may never, never marry. And I, his least favorite, not quite boiled, not quite cooked, a plump pomfret simmering in my juices. Too listless to fight for my people's destiny. To kill without resistance is not slaughter, says the proverb. So I wait for imminent death. The fact that this death is also metaphorical is testament to my lethargy. So here lies Marilyn Mailing Chid, married once, twice to so-and-so, a Lee and a Wong, daughter of the virtuous Yuequin Wong and Gigi Chin, the infamous, sister of a dozen, cousin of a million, survived by everybody and forgotten by all. She was neither black nor white, neither cherished nor vanquished, just another squatter in her own bamboo grove, minding her poetry when one day heaven was unmerciful and a chasm opened where she stood like the jaws of a mighty white whale or the maw of a metaphysical Godzilla. It swallowed her whole, should not flinch nor writhe nor fret about the afterlife, but stayed solid as wood, happily, a little gnawed, tattered, mesmerized by all that was lavished upon her and all that was taken away. Thank you. Um, can you see me? I'm kind of longitudinally challenged here. Can you see me? Yeah, it's okay. Can you hear me? Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, that poem has been around for 30 years. It's been anthologized over 50 times, and uh, teachers and students love that poem. And um, so I thank you guys for teaching it, right? <laughs> um, there are many ways to write a, 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 a immigrant anthem, and sometimes um, it comes out as a speech act, a performance speech act, and sometimes one could sing a blues poem, for instance, using the African-American tradition. Um, so I, I studied the uh, African-American tradition because of the blues poem, because I, um, as a Chinese-American poet, one must pay homage to Shakespeare, Keats, all those dudes who wrote, you know, wrote sonnets, as well as the African-American tradition, which is an important American tradition. So I studied the blues poem, and this, is, uh, this poem uh, is called Blues on Yellow. 
The canary died in the gold mine. Her dreams got lost in the sieve. The canary died in the gold mine. Her dreams got lost in the sieve. Her husband, the crow, killed under the railroad. The spokes has shorn his wings. Something's cooking in Chin's kitchen. Ten thousand yellow-bellied sapsuckers baked in a pie. Something's cooking in Chin's kitchen. Ten thousand yellow-bellied sapsuckers baked in a pie. Something's cooking in Chin's kitchen. Die, die, yellow bird. Die, die. Oh, crack an egg on the griddle. Yellow will ooze into white. Oh, crack an egg on the griddle. Yellow will ooze into white. Run, run, sweet little Puritan. Yellow will ooze into white. If I cut my yellow wrists, I'll teach my yellow toes to write. If I cut my yellow wrists, I'll teach my yellow toes to write. If I cut my yellow fists, I'll teach my yellow feet to fight. Do not be afraid to perish, my mother. Buddha's compassion is nigh. Do not be afraid to perish, my mother. Our boat will sail tonight. Your babies will reach the promised land. The stars will be their guide. I am so mellow yellow, mellow yellow. Buddha sings in my veins. I am so mellow yellow, mellow yellow. Buddha sings in my veins. Oh, take me to the land of the unreborn. There's no life on earth without. Do you remember Donovan, the mellow yellow? <laughs> I, I think some of us remember that. Um, I want to thank my my agent, uh, Sandy Dykstra. She's yeah, she took care of this this uh, Chinese American part for many years. <laughs> She's give her let's give her a nice hand. <laughs> Yay. Um How about some bad girl haiku? All right, you guys ready for that? I I don't know. I don't know if you're ready for that. Uh you look So um, I call these bad girl libidinous anti-Zen haiku. I mean, the haiku is, is it's really a pop American form. I mean, uh, you know, your, your teachers, your high school teacher made you write haiku, right? Your <laughs> and you write haiku to your beloved, and uh, uh, and and definitely the African American poets, um, uh, Sonia Sanchez, Etheridge Knight, uh, Richard Wright, you know, brought. Yeah, uh, 
reinvigorated the haiku. And so I, um, so, so I wrote these haiku, and I don't know, I guess I can't call them haiku because they, they lack the Zen quality. And so I call them 17-syllable things. <laughs> A hundred red fire ants scouring, scouring the white peony. Fallen plum blossoms return to the branch. You sleep, then harden again. Are you guys old enough to hear this? <laughs> I don't know about that, okay. <laughs> huh? Oh, you are? Okay, good. Okay, you're, you're, you're ready for some, some erotic poems, All right? Okay, okay, I know you guys. You've been studying too hard. Okay. Cuttlefish in my palm stiffens with rigor mortis. Boy toys can't love. Neighbors barn, grass mat, crickets, blue boy, trowel handle, dress soaked in mud. Iron-headed mace, dub, double-studded halberd, slice into emptiness. Oh, fierce ogoos, tie me to two wild elephants, Tear me in half. Oh, my swarthy herder, two humped Batrian, drive me the long distance. Forceps, tongs, bushy, whip, flanks, scabbard, stirrup, goads, distaff, wither, owl. Black-eyed Susans, Queen Anne's lace, bounty of cyclamen, moan paths erupt. Gaze at the charred hills, the woe-be-gone kiosks. We are all God's hussies. I have not fondled the emperor's lapdog, whose name is Black Muzzle. Urge your horses into the mist-swill Galilee, oh, sweet bedlamite. Her majesty's rounding up the jeweled stairs to find the pleasure dome. Ancient pond. The frog jumps in and in and in the deep slap of water. The frog jumps into the ancient pond. She says, no, I am not ready. Coyote cooked his dead wife's vagina and fed it to his new wife. I plucked out three white pubic hairs and they turned into flying monkeys. Let's do it on the antimacassar, on the antimacassar. Little Red drew her teeny pistol from her basket and said, Eat me. Chimera, Madame Popot grafting a date tree onto a date tree. His unworthy appendage, his mutinous henchman, grazed my pink cheeks. He on top now changes to bottom, Goddess welcomes her devotee. Fish, fish, fowl, fowl, mock me, Mistress Bean Curd. I am both duck and essence. Sing, sing, little yellow blight. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Don't touch him, bitch. We're engaged, and besides, he's wearing my nipple ring. The last 
haiku is a found haiku. I heard it, you know, from one of my students who was saying something to that effect into her cell phone. So it was a found haiku. <laughs> and I was, yeah, well, we have to be nasty if we, you know, can't be as nasty as Nicki Minaj. What, what kind of poets are we, you know? Yeah, right? <laughs> okay, so um, I also like writing um, uh, sonnets, and I, ca I call my sonnets sonnet niece. That is to say, they're sonnets, but I sort of play around with, you know, with Chinese lyrics, and, it, and uh, I try to merge uh, the two forms. Um, this one is called Black President. Oh, don't we miss our black president? Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, black president. If a black man could be president, could a white man be his slave? Could a sinner enter heaven by uttering his name? If the Terminator is my governor, we all know that from California, right? But they, they know that in Beijing, too, so <laughs> he's the most famous governor ever. If the Terminator is my governor, could a cowboy be my king? When shall the cavalry enter Deadwood and save my prince? An exo-cannibal eats her enemies. An endo-cannibal eats her friends. I'd rather starve myself silly than to make a man's blood on the altar, blood on the lamb, blood in the chalice, not symbolic, but fresh. So, so that's Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well... So, to make it fair, I wrote a poem for our, pre uh, our president. Um, our President Trump, and it's called Scary Poem. <laughs> and it's an inaugural etude 2017. Okay, I had this nightmare of this red-haired haired creature uh, you know, running after me, trying to, you know, um, devour me. So I realized that was, that was Donald Trump. So, <laughs> so I wrote this poem, and I, I used Edgar Allan Poe's rhythm. So, you know, I thought that, would, that, that was appropriate for the content. Scary poem, inaugural A2 2017. Beware the tyrants on the loose swinging his scythe and scrotum. Beware he enters your dreams with a face mask and speculum. Beware he crawls on fours and sixes, keeps time with the ancient pendulum. He's pissed as a newt. He chains you to his beliefs. Beware he will make you disappear. Your history will be rewritten. Beware he sleeps in the same room. His smell is oddly human. Beware he's a territorial beast. He'll carve you into 12 provinces. 
Beware, he flaunts his conquests, beating his snare drum of flesh. Beware, he's texting your sister. We're spraying his toxic jism. That's the golden showers, right? <laughs> Beware, he's 10,000 years old and will survive the Nexus pogroms. Beware, he's the killer legacy. No muzzle nor museum can hold him. Okay, so that's, that's the Trump poem. <laughs> okay, I, I know that you forced some of your students to read my poems. So uh, you have any requests out there? Did you, <laughs> any requests? Don't be shy. <laughs> Don't be shy, okay. What? No, no, oh, no request, okay. <laughs> okay, all right. This one is called Study Hall. Oh, there's a request over there. All right, I see you. I see you in the plaid shirt. Huh? The Volta loving my Volvo. The Volta loving my Volvo. Whoa! Oh, the Volta. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's okay. That's a recent, okay. All right, there's some, there's some nasty girls out there. I don't know, I mean, well, wash your mouth with soap. We had the same grandmother, I know. Okay. Well, this is, a, you know, a brand new poem. It's for Mitsu Yamada. You know who she is? She's really one of the mothers of Asian American poetry, and she is. She's living uh, in uh, where? Is she, where is she in? Um, uh, with Claire, Claremont, California. Yeah, Irvine, Irvine, Irvine. Okay, yeah. Yes, Severino knows. <laughs> My dear friend Severino. He knows everything. Um, um, yeah, Irvine. Yeah, he's, she. She's ninety-six years old now. But I wrote this poem for her 90th birthday. I couldn't finish it until t three years later. And she, she kept emailing me say, saying, oh, I'm still alive, you gotta finish that poem. <laughs> so I, I wrote this poem, and it's one of the last poems in the, in the collection. It's called uh, For Mitsu Yamada on her 90th birthday. And I wanted to write, um, you know, give her images and people, th uh, throw in people, images and things um, 90, 90, you know, beautiful things for her to hang in her wish tree, you know, and so, um, so I think there are 90 things in here, but maybe there are more. Um, for Mitsu Yamada on her 90th birthday. They say we bitch revolutionaries never go out of fashion. Wearing floppy hats and huge wedgie shoes, a feather bandolera and a lethal python. Sometimes we wear a fro perm because we hate our straight hair. Sometimes we wear it straight to the ankles like Mirasaki. I bleached mine purple to look like Kwanan Cycloc. Maxine's beaming like the goddess of Nai Nai Temple. That's Maxine Hong Kingston. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I cross between Storm the X-Girl and a Sohatano. 
We love our laser eyes, our Yoko granny glasses, or dizzy. Short women poets unite. Revolution ain't just style, it's destiny. We will make a comeback, we always do. You and Nellie and Merle making a rad film. Janice in a miniskirt testifying at Glide Church. Her size still spelt with her bluesy magpie clarinet. Wakako dancing to a taiko drum and Sheila E. Rats, the FBI's rifling through your garbage again. Bastards are after your studded bell bottoms and a raison d'etre. <laughs> Boys, you can have them. Even my embroidered hot pants will drag it with share, sporting black bangs of resistance. We'll emoliate our bras at the Atlantic City boardwalk, listening to Buffy St. Marie and Fusionist Jazz Bash. Angela Davis and Shay, spinning revolution in our brain when an album was a symphony, not a blip on a Spotify Lumumba. We'll lip sync to Marvin Gaye and mash to Soul Train and stage a sing-along, sit in with Odetta. Forget about Dylan, he's a whiner. Where's Jamie Baldwin? Where's Dick Gregory? Soak our gall with bell hooks and Barbara Christian. Oh, sweet Jesus, Alan G's chasing your nephew around the bodega. Imagine the long march with Mao or MLK or Harvey Milk. Study a, the physiognomy of foreheads and twisted fate. I was a naive girl poet wearing wet nappies while you were fighting the WRA and Executive Order 9066. Where is Manzanar? Where is Topaz? Where is Tool Lake? Wherefore, Gila River and Heart Mountain sound like vacation hotbeds hot where rich white retirees play bingo and waltz. They whisk your father away deep into the night, auctioned your house off to some sleazy Hollywood exec. Hell, nobody knew we were make, suckling on the ties of the new renaissance. Drove a pink Buick to a poetry camp called Woodstock, ate hashies with Sylvia Plath's ghost at an Irvine bus stop, binge on Neruda's psilocybin odes at Bullfrog. <laughs> Meanwhile, let's mock a Whitmanesque praise poem at the Iowa workshop. They say, don't write political, girl. Just hang yourself with abjection. Let's bum rush a haiku party with conceptual artists. <laughs> How long can you stare at a urinal, for God's sake? What's the difference between the old regime and the new regime? The new one has lightsabers and a bona fide Wookiee. I confess I was faking it. I was a revolutionary freak. Did a hunger strike with Cesar Chavez because he's sexy. Mao was a new crush. Marx wetted the yoni. I was just a horny girl poet. Please forgive me. I binged on duck noodles on Clement Street while sucking down a bong. Wrote 10,000 letters for Amnesty International high on shrooms. 
but I confess that on the second day of a relapse, I threw up alphabet soup all over my slutty girlfriend's Austin Healy. She thought she was a dikey James Bond. Oh, really? I lied that the dog did it. For your 90th birthday, my dear Auntie Mitsui, I write this silly poem, not counting syllables, accentuals, or diphthongs, or making it sing or pulling a long conceit out of a colonialist ass, sinine simulacra, or trying to rap with the youngsters wearing a Compton cap, or breakdancing for an end stop Jeremiah not trying to make a hybridity, lipidity sonnet. Here's the line that, that she wanted. <laughs> the voter is loving my vova, lapping vodka on the voga. <laughs> not a long religious rant about Prissy Jeffrey, nor dogging the dogma dharma who left her yellow mark all over the doggity diaspora. Not lifting a hind leg, but squatting in the morning glory like a real Asian diva. They paid you 20000 for your civil liberties, a mule and 10 acres of scorched patty apotheosis, they slapped a cruel judgment on the new century. There will always be another brown girl to hate. Rape her village, burn her wedding veil, shoot her in the face, plant a black flag on her sweet soul, strap her down with a ticking heart bomb and show no mercy. Auntie Masui, no more redress, no more reparations, no worries about legacy. Let's live raunchily and have the last laugh. Somewhere in a faraway kingdom, we shall eat that magical pill of immortality. You and me and Emily D. gnawing ganja cookies, dreaming on our backs. And Bessie's crooning her heart out on a crappy eight track. <laughs> <laughs> I know there are a lot of references. Yeah, you guys are too young. <laughs> you gotta have to look them up <laughs> in the hippie dictionary, right? <laughs> Other requests? Please, yeah. Please. Come on. Other requests? Brandon is something that you, is a, you taught. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh. Huh? Chaos has no eyes. Oh, chaos has. Okay. Thank you, Nia. Okay. Um, I wrote a bunch of um, um, prose poems, and that's kind of my my you know my. My sort of segue into fiction. I'm writing more fiction yeah, now, um, but but the prose poem was a nice area, a nice.
bridge between poetry and you know and my and and fiction and um, and I write yeah a bunch of these little weird things and I just love writing them. They're harder than you expect. I don't know if some of you tried, but uh, um, this one is called Chaos Has No Had No Eyes. Chaos said, "Oh, Mayling, give me eyes so I can admire your beauty." So Mayling punctured two wounds into his forehead, and he's. And as he gazed longingly into her eyes, chaos said, Oh, beautiful one, I can't smell your sweet scent. So Maylene cut two holes for his nostrils. Chaos said, Oh, melodious poet, give me two ears so I can hear your fine poems. Again, Maylene obliged. Chaos said, at last, give me a sweet mouth so that when we kiss, my tongue could interlock with your tongue deep into all eternity. And so, Mayling cut for him a deep red mouth and kissed it. Chaos said, I have loved you too much and bled from his seven sockets into turbulent rivers of blood spilling over the dark continents, flooding the deforested plains and pestilential cities, destroying the once abundant borderlands. Finally, chaos marveled at his own gruesome handiwork and would want for nothing. Well, that's rather a dark pony. <laughs> okay. Well, I know we are so in chaos. Um... Everywhere. I'll, I'll read a, um, a haibun. It's a Japanese um, prose poem form, often well, uh, punctuated by, by a haiku in the end, uh, invented by, uh, by Basho in the, um, in the 17th century. Um, but this one is punctuated by, by a little verse from Gwendolyn Brooks, and I know that you, you, you know this verse. So, um, and I wrote this um, during a, re you know, I, the first draft I wrote during a reading at, uh, at, at San Jose, at a San Jose high school where the students, I couldn't tell where the students, whether the students were having a great time or that they're fighting or having a great time. I couldn't tell. They were rockets as ever. So, <laughs> study hall deterritorialized for Gwendolyn Brooks. Gwendolyn Brooks used to write me uh, little little cards for on, you know for, uh, for Christmas. I mean it's just I she was so supportive in my youth. I'm so old, you know. I remember <laughs> Okay. Well, I guess having a um a selected poems means one is sage-like, right? Steady Hall, deterritorialized for Gwendolyn Brooks. The brown boy hits me but says he's sorry. The brown girl, his sister, says it's because he likes me. I say, yuck, he likes me? Well, I hate him. The black girl pinches me and says, scaredy cat, tattertail, little pussy, I dare you to hit back. The white girl grabs my Hello Kitty purse and spills my milk money. I karate chop her arm. 
The white boy says, my father says that your father's egg rolls are made of fried rat penises. I answer, yep. My father says that the reason why his egg rolls are made of fried rat penises is because Americans are weirdos and like to eat fried rat penises. <laughs> the black girl laughs deep from her gut and high fives me. Just as I am redrawing the map, my little fresh-off-the-boat cousin from Malaysia starts weeping into her pink shawl like a baby. Wah, wah, wah. The white girl muffles her ears. Can't you shut her up? I say, don't cry, little cousin. It's not as bad as it seems. It's verse. That's, that's a very bad pun. I'm... Oh, okay. Oh, well, okay. I point to the window and magically to entertain us. Two fat pigeons appear cooing on the sill. The boy is sitting on top of the girl, trying to molest her. She is wobbling, shuffling, pirouetting under his weight. He is pecking a red bald spot on her skinny neck and singing, We will coo, we will fools, we will coo, we will fools. Is that a bad pun also? <laughs> I don't know if you... <laughs> Finally, we all laugh as one, laughing and laughing at God's beloved creatures behind this spectacle against all odds from the West, a strong explosion of sun bullies through a big gray loogie of a cloud. I've always wanted to use the word loogie in a poem, and there it is. <laughs> okay. Um, other requests? I don't have that in this book. <laughs> That's a new one. That's coming. <laughs> this, um, this one is called Identity Poem Number 99. So this... Um, I guess there were there were ninety eight other identity poems and they're all <laughs> identity poem number ninety nine. Are you the sky or the allegory for loneliness? Are you the only Chinese restaurant in Roseburg, Oregon? A half breed war orphan adopted by proper Christians? A heathen poi dog? A creamy half and half. Are you a dingy vinyl address book? A wrist without a corsage? Are you baby's breath face down on a teenage road in America? Are you earphones detached? Left dangling on an airplane jack to diaspora? Are you doomed to a childhood without music? Weary of your granny's one-string woe-begone erhu, mewling about the past. Are you hate speech or are you a lullaby? Anecdotes requiring footnotes, an ethnic joke rehashed. How many Chinamen does it take to screw? How many Chinamen does it take to screw a light bulb? 
Are you so poor that you cannot call your mother? You have less than $2 on your phone card, and it's a long cable to nirvana. Are you a skylight through which the bus girl sees heaven, a chopping block stained by the blood of 10,000 innocents, which daily the same bus girl must wipe off? Does existence preempt essence, I being what my ancestors were not? Suddenly, you're a vegan vegetarian. Restaurant is a facticity, and getting the hell out is transcendence. Was the punchline incandescent? Was a nosebleed your last tender memory of her? Did he say, no dogs and China women? Are you a rose or a tattoo of fire? Okay. Mm -hmm. do, do you use phone cards these days? I guess, well, I think, well, um, I think that, uh, yeah, are there questions or something? I, yeah, coming to the... End of the show. Any questions? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Well, let me. I, uh, okay. I'll read this last poem called um, called the floral apron. It's it's a very old poem, but students love this poem and. And uh, the students in Hong Kong voted to, it to, um, to be the, uh, to represent Hong Kong in the 2012 uh, Olympics you know, BB, for, uh, for BBC uh, in the uh, London Olympics. Um, and I told them that I, I was an American citizen. I'm, you know, I was born in Hong Kong, but, but they say, oh, it's okay, okay, well, you can represent, your poem can represent us anyway. And I thought that was really sweet. <laughs> All right, okay, it's called The Flow Apron, and, uh, and yeah, okay. The woman wore a floral apron around her neck. The woman from my mother's village with a sharp cleaver in her hand. She said, what shall we cook tonight? Perhaps these six tiny squid lined up so perfectly on the block. She wiped her hand on the apron pierced the blade into the fur. She said, there was no resistance, no blood, only cartilage, soft as a child's nose. Alas, iota of ink made us wince. Suddenly, the aroma of ginger and scallion fogged our senses, and we absolved her for that moment's barbarism. Then she, an elder of the tribe, without formal headdress, without elegance, deigned to teach the younger about the Asian plight. And although we have traveled far, we must never forget that primal lesson on patience, courage, forbearance, on how to love squid despite squid how to honor the village, the tribe, that floral apron. Thank you so much.
Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is a nice, really nice welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, you have a question. Oh, question. Go. Oh, no, it's a question. You may politely leave if you want. <laughs> Oh, I always write for the page first. That first poem, How I Got That Name, is written for the page. It's, it's not slam. I know a lot of you are slam poets. Okay, and confess. <laughs> it's not slam. I wrote it for the page first. And then I, I used to be really shy. I used to throw up before reading. So uh, I, you know, I really, you know, I had to read this almost you know, often, because if I don't read this poem, it's like the Rolling Stones have to, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, if I don't read, usually, you know, somebody would come and say, why didn't you read How I Got That Name? So so I had, I, I had a lot of practice. It's one of those poems, you know, those anthologized poems that, that I read often. So so I memorized it to remind the audience that, that you know, um, they're that there's an oral history, you know, uh, in poetry. You know, this, uh, poetry has a long, uh, has an, impo uh, an oral history. So, uh, so I, um, so I, you know, I memorize, and I, you know, I put a mustache on and went to some slam poetry gigs with my students, and and you know, and try to figure out how, you know, how they did things. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but you know, it's I always write for the page first. But I, I, yeah, I always work on the performance because I realize you guys, um, you know, uh, worked. You know, some of you drive a long ways, or some of you, you know, some of my, some of the audience uh, come from a long, a long ways to uh, to hear me. So I try to give the best performance. Performance is performative, also. How shall a, a little brown girl speak? You know, when she gets the mic. So I speak as loudly as possible. Because I'm a short brown girl, right? Uh, and also, you know, I just, you know, I try to pepper it for, with, with some some jokes and some weirdness. You know, there there are there are poems that don't lend to recitation, and you must read. You know, uh, it's a engagement one on one with the page, right? I write for the page first, but the performance is important for me. Yes, thank you. Oh, you were too ginger. Too, I mean, gingerly. What? I love the word gingerly. Isn't that great? I see a little bar of ginger. Oh, it's tasty. Okay. Yes. You know, there's some wonderful. Uh, writers in the theater. I mean, and and they're poetic, and and I learned from monologues also. The first poem, how I got that name, is actually a monologue. It's actually written uh, like a mom monologue, a, a dramatic monologue in the in the um, uh, in the fashion of Browning, you know, and and the mono and the contemporary monologue is. Um, I, it's hard for me to say. I, I when I taught. In the MFA program, there are a lot of students who came from performance, and they, it was hard for them to engage with a page. It's really about attention 
and also about how much you have to read a lot of poetry, and you have to you have to have the you know the attention span to sit uh, with with the poems and read broadly, read the ancients, and re- you know just don't you know I think most of most of you guys just read your your friends or something <laughs> or somebody two two years older than your friends, uh, but I it's, it's important to read deeply and widely, have a wide canvas, and that's um, yeah and. Um, yeah, that's and and write for the page first. Always, you know, line line by line, phoneme to phoneme. Yeah, and that's and just read a lot. Read a lot of a lot of boring poetry you find boring. I mean, really, I was reading Alexander Pope the other day. Oh my God! Ah, oh. <laughs> please. I mean, you know, you just ha- yeah uh, yeah. Um, yeah, re- so um, that's all I can say is, yeah, you have to read, read a lot. Yes. Hi, I'm the Nancy Girl. Um, oh, then. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming today. Your reading today was absolutely beautiful and powerful. Um, gosh, I was looking forward to the entire day. I just had a very quick question. Um, in your interview with the, the major American writer workshop, uh, The Margin, you talk a lot about navigating a bicultural space, and I was wondering, um, growing writers who are navigating bicultural spaces, especially in the writing, as well as for those who their heritage language serves almost as a vestigial organ. Is there anything you would like to share to those growing writers or any sort of like words of advice? Advice about uh, about bi- that bicultural space. Okay. Well, it's different for everybody. I can't, uh, I was born in Hong Kong. I came here when I was seven. I'm not perfectly bilingual, but I like to play, I like to, but my undergraduate degree was in Chinese language and literature, and so I learned a lot from that. And then went to, when I went to the Iowa workshop, I worked with formalists. That's how I got my formalist ear, that I could, I could write sonnets, I could write... I mean, I, I had very good training in my, in my youth. And then when I was at Iowa, I also went, uh, uh, um, worked a double major in, in translation. I met met some very important, you know, uh, important international writers who, who were, for, the, for instance, uh, the poet Ai Ching, he's actually Ai Weiwei's father. He was in prison for 16 years. And I met these amazing writers uh, at, in the international writing program. So my, I, I can't speak for other Asian American poets or other, uh, other bicultural, bi, you know, poets, uh, or multi, yeah, what, yeah, what, um, I, for me, for me, it's, uh, I wanted to, you know, to pay homage to both sides of my literary history, or to multiple sides of my literary history. It's just important to do so, and like that poem for, for, uh, for Mitsu Yamada, I'm paying homage to Asian American history, which is, a, you know, Asian American poetry history, which is very narrow, but it's a, but it was a fun poem to write. I mean, and not everybody will get the gag, right? The joke. I mean, but the jokes or, um, or the references. But, but it's important for me not actually to represent, but to, to really draw from my, from my strengths. And that's, you know, that's what I see, um, you know, I see having um, many histories. I mean, that's, ha- that, you know, it's a, that's about strength, not weakness, you know. And so, um, so you know, I, I can't say for other, uh, other writers because some writers feel that it's, it's, a, it's a post-racial era and we should not write, 
we should not, you know, um, uh, be right, you know, we should not be the marked brown girl or something like, you know, uh, that kind of thing. But I, I, you know, the reason why my work has survived, I mean, 30 or 40 years is because I write all kinds of stuff. I write poems that that high school students love, like the floral apron. And even Garrison Keillor liked that poem, for God's sake. He, he, but, but then I write poems, like there's a bilingual poem here that nobody understands. I have some some weird poems that nobody gets, you know, it's like, I don't want to get them. I mean, they're, they're really experimental, you know, some long experimental pieces. So I just sort of, I give myself a wide canvas, and I think I, that's, you know, I think that's the way forward. And to, to be unafraid, to be courageous, because it's really your art. It's not anybody else's art. Don't ca you don't care what other people are doing. If I feel like reading Alexander Pope, it's my right to read the bastard. I don't understand a thing he says. He's freaking boring. But I am reading him because I wanted to learn the, cup, the heroic couplet. Because I wanted to merge the heroic, heroic couplet with the Chinese couplet. And so, so I am, you know, so really that's my nerdiness. You know, but I think that when I love, you know, I love to play with form. But not everybody you know, likes, you know, likes to play with form, you know, so, so find what's best for you, you know, but don't be afraid to experiment, you know, to, to, uh, yeah, and it, and it's, it's great to be able to read poetry from a, from a second or third language, I mean, that's just wonderful, you know, it's just, yeah, so, thank you. I guess Brandon looks professorial. When I met him many years ago, I <laughs> 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 Thank you so much for having this amazing reading. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I just can't say enough about how amazing this event is. Um, I wanted to follow up on, on actually your last comment a little bit because I think what's so amazing about your poetry is It's really about, well, I was lucky to, to have this formal training, and it's, and it's really kind of random, because I, I, my undergraduate degree was in classical Chinese literature, so I learned formal Chinese, poet, you know, Chinese poetry. I had, I had these old Chinese professors, you know, that could barely speak English, they had, and they had like thick, you know, this one, Zhen Qingmao had thick, had thick Taiwanese accent, and he made me, you know, and and he loved. He used to chant Chinese poetry, and he loved, you know. So, I, that was my undergraduate uh, degree, and then I went to Iowa and I studied with Donald Justice, who was a formalist, and I, and I think he, everybody was afraid of him, right? And I, I was, you know, 
uh, and then in a, in, and then I was writing this revolutionary poetry. I was writing this this really like like feminist stuff, and the class like slapped me down and say, "Well, you know, they said uh, don't write uh, don't write political poetry. That's garbage, right?" And then I went to um, uh, but then now justice took me, and I went to his office hours, and who went line by line and told me what was what I was doing right. And it's really not about the content, it's about form, that he noticed that what I was doing that I was getting from my Chinese, uh, Chinese, you know, from my Chinese heritage and my Chinese studies and, and studying the Tang Dynasty poetries. Um, so, um, so that was interesting. Then I said I worked uh, as a translator for a while, a chance to translate, and that, uh, uh, you know, taught me to look at uh, these various poets, po poetries and decide how to best translate, to, to bring them into English. And, um, and yeah, they're, they're, yeah they're, I love form. I mean, not everybody loves form. But I also wrote, write, you know, free verse. So I love Whitman. When I think about writing the long line poem, I think about Whitman and Ginsburg. The, and the biblical long verse. When I write a sh short quatrain, I write a thing called a, a Chinese American quatrain. I, I, you know, I look, look at the chi Chinese quatrains and I look at uh, Dickinson. So when I teach my, um, I, I, I teach a, when I teach a forms class, I teach long line, long line, short line, um, uh, free verse. I teach the sonnet. I teach quatrains. I teach, um, you know, uh, some song poems. I, I teach um, poems that, that speak and poems that sing. And, the, and long poems, short poems. So, so if you look at my, my selected poems, it's all of the place. I have different, you know, different lengths of poems, um, different styles. I, you know, and, and it's because um, I just, I'm very restless. I don't want, like, you know, a lot of poets write the same poem, kind of the same poem, the same style over and over again. I just don't do that. I, I prefer to, to have a wide canvas. And maybe that's why the work, the work survives this long because, you know, people like different type, you know, types of poems and they, uh, and, and so, um, and so, so it's easier to get, do a best hits album, right? <laughs> I know, I, so that's that's what, yeah. But but don't be afraid of form, you know. Don't be don't be afraid of it. And also, you know, and you're gonna get tired of your 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 same lame ass uh, free verse <laughs> that you write over and over. You're gonna get tired, of it and you're gonna say, well, maybe maybe I'm gonna try something different, you know. Just you know, you it's good to to change it up because you you get lazy. You know, you have to be. You know, I, I. You get lazy with your po poems, and uh, and yeah, um, yeah. You, it's it's the, the, it's such a wonderful. You know, poetry is a genre that is so rich. You know, why why limit yourself? So that's so. Don't be afraid of form. It's <laughs> so. One last question. Okay, Troy. <laughs> Wow, okay, that's cool. <laughs> that's my high school. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I 
think. Yeah, a lot of times the first draft is shit. <laughs> I mean, you, you write this first draft and you say, oh, I've got it. Oh, the angels are hitting me. I'm really, oh, it's like, it's fierce and it's always oh, great. And then the next day you look at it, it's just crap, you know. But I, I but, you know, it, um, the first draft, I always said, yeah, said, the first draft is from God and the rest is hard work, right? Uh, and and the, the 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 thing is, to I always carry a a a pad, you know, a a notebook with me. So you have you have some great idea, you jot you jot it down. Um, but but it's really about the revision, you know, my, the revision where I uh, I I really you know find the jewels. But yeah, but the but yeah, you know, I used to like love to take baths, and I would have a little. A little pad next to the, and it get all wet and icky. But I still would have that pad. It's really something that is second nature to me. To you know, to always jot down your your ideas when it, even you know, if it comes to you the uh, middle of the night. Yes, uh, jot jot it down. I'm, I'm an insomniac. We're insomniacs that, um, yeah. And I um, I jot things down in the middle of the night. But yeah, um, you know, don't you know uh, we. <laughs> There's so much self-hatred in writing, right? <laughs> it's like you look at the work and you go, "Oh my God, it sucks." Why? Oh my God! But then, but then, you know, um, you, you eventually craft a really, you know, decent piece. And it it takes time. It takes uh, drafts. Um, um, Ginsburg said that he never, uh, he never, you know, uh, revised. He was a liar. He told he revised. Or, or his friends revised for him. He, he's a total, yeah, he was, li- he was a liar. So, so you know, there's always, uh, the revision process is really rigorous. And I, I this is why I read a lot. Read a lot, so, and also about going back to the idea about form. When I have the forms, I read a lot of the forms in my childhood or, and also in grad school because I, I had a, uh, a formless teacher, so I had these forms in the back of my brain, the Chinese and the uh, the Western forms, and so I can inter- most uh, writing is about melding form with content. So any time I can draw up those forms and I can play with them, you know, you can have a Chinese line: "She, Xin Hun, Bu Jiu Xin Hun She." My heart hates I don't know whom. I mean, that comes from. Dufu or, or Li Bai, you know, um, no, that comes from Li Bai. Or you have Ibe Ibe, Fu Ibe. That's, you know, those are lines that, that I remember from childhood and remember from my Chinese class. And then there are lines of Shakespeare and lines of, you know, um, yeah, of Whitman and whatever that, that comes, comes to mind. I think, you know, I, I think it's, um, 
I think it's important to to read and to have those forms, to to have them in your sense memory, in your body memory, so that so that uh, you can draw from them any time and see so that that's um, the question about form. But don't be afraid about your emotions. Good heavens, you write a cheesy love poem to your girlfriend. Go ahead and write that cheesy love poem. I mean, we need more cheesy love poems. So if you're angry, just just spew it out. You know, it's just. Don't worry about it. I mean, um, I think the problem with graduate school is that you're, we're using this up here and we're not using the, you know, the rest of the body. We're just sort of decapitated. You know, I just, you know, I went through that period as well. So, so a, you know, just remember you have, you know, different senses and, yeah, uh, and different parts of your body. And you can, you write with your whole body, not just with your brain. Thank you so, thank you so much. I'm sorry. <laughs>